0: This is Stacy Eldridge. Welcome to Captivated. This world vies for our attention in a thousand different ways. But the most important thing, the preeminent thing, the essential thing, is to give our attention to Jesus. Welcome to the premiere episode of Captivated. I am so excited and expectant about this podcast and our time together. To begin, I'd love for you to take a moment and check in with yourself. How are you today? How are you feeling? Whatever it is, whether it's wonderful or much less so, together, we invite Jesus into this place that we find ourselves in. Jesus, meet us here. Meet us now. Okay, about this podcast. This is a dream that God planted in my heart. This is his idea. Here's a quick overview of where we're going. For one thing, it will be every other week, semi-weekly, airing on Wednesdays. There will be solo podcasts, just me sharing on things that God has been talking to me about, that I'm passionate about. Some will have other members of our Women's Wild at Heart team on it. We have eight other women on our Wild at Heart team, and they are fabulous women. They're a deep bench, some people have said. They have so much wisdom and a life with God, and I can't wait for them to come and share that with you. And then we will have podcasts with women who are not a part of the ministry, who have deep, vibrant walks with God and have much to share from their lives with Him. All of the podcasts will be around topics pertinent to our lives in these days we are living in, and primarily about Jesus, how marvelous he is, and how he wants to and is and will increasingly intersect our lives with his as we delve more into the reality that he inhabits us. Additionally, one of the things we'll be hearing from the women guests is their stories of how or when did they fall in love with Jesus. It might have been at their moment of salvation, or it might have been something that unfolded over time, or that happened in a dramatic moment. But when did they become captivated? Their stories will be as different as they are, and I know they'll be so encouraging to us. They'll help us to recognize God's movements in our own lives— and maybe even provoke us to pursue Jesus more, to know him more. Because the more we know him, the more we love him. The more we love him, the more he fills us to overflowing. He transforms our lives as we receive the revelation of his love and rest in it. Then we become those that allure others to Jesus. It just happens. It just happens and it takes practice. It takes practice. It takes intention. It takes making Jesus the priority of our lives and creating rhythms in our daily living that allow space for us to encounter him. Those kinds of rhythms lead to delight, delight, joy, peace, actually everything that we long for and were created for. We practice the entering into and becoming aware of the presence of God. We even practice loving him. We practice worshiping. We practice listening, following, studying, immersing ourselves in him, fixing our gaze on him, loving others. Practice growing, learning to draw on Jesus, living in union with him recognizing his voice, resting in his love, being empowered by his spirit, becoming all that we are meant to be in Christ, takes practice. And we are on our way. There's so much mercy in that reality. God is cheering us on. He's inviting us into the more that is available to us in him, in life, in love, in healing, in freedom, in joy, The transformation of our very being, our character, our thoughts, our beliefs about him and ourselves, it's happening and increasing every time we choose to invite him in, every time we choose to spend time with him, every time we choose to turn the gaze of our hearts upon him, it will become as normal to us as breathing. We choose to now. We can choose. Because we have been chosen. And yes, we are imperfect, sometimes unable or simply just not strong enough in the moment to choose well. Well, in that, we are caught by grace. We look to God to help us and to accomplish in and through us the transformation we desire to bring us the more we long for. I want to read to you, The scripture, Ephesians 1, verse 18 from the Passion, says, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling, that is, the wealth of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Friends, our God wants us to know who we are, to bring us the revelation of our true identity. When we get that, when we understand that, when we rest in that, We are empowered to live and love in all the ways we were created to and we long to. When we know who we are in Jesus, we invite others to know the truth as well, just by our very presence. We experience Christ, and then others do through us. He emanates through us. It's so invitational and alluring. And we come to know who we are as we come to know more truly who God is, how he sees us. How does he see us? Well, friends, he is actually smitten with us, smitten by you, even right now. Doubt it? Those are just the places where we have yet to come to know him as deeply as he wants us to, and he is coming for those places even now. I recently watched the movie Last of the Mohicans. Remember that old one With Daniel Day Lewis in it. He plays Hawkeye. Okay, this is the scene that really struck me. And I heard a teaching on it years ago, but here it was afresh. His lady love, Cora, has been captured along with her sister and others by the enemy and is being taken into the wilderness. She has her hands tied, she has a rope around her neck, and she is being led further and further away into darkness. To me, it became a picture of those places where I, and maybe for you, feel in captivity by my enemy, places where I'm not experiencing the victory that I so long for, places where I've been praying and praying for freedom or release or just victory, and it's not happening. Well, being led further and further into the wilderness, the next scene you see is the three men. I think are a picture of the Trinity, literally running up a mountain to get to Korah. They are pursuing her with all of their strength, led by Hawkeye, who to me is a picture of Jesus. They will not stop. They will not stop until she is fully rescued. See, the Trinity is pursuing us always, always. And we all have moments when we doubt that we are worthy of love. We all have those moments. We doubt it when we are in some form of pain, eternally, or in our relationships. Our relationships are key, aren't they? We women were given a huge capacity and need for relationship. It's our glory and a beautiful way that we bear the image of God who enjoys perfect intimate relationship. But our glory has been tainted, as you well know, because of human brokenness and sin. Friends, there is not one relationship in your life that is not touched at some level by disappointment. There is an undercurrent of sorrow in every woman's life. And oftentimes, Maybe you do too. When I feel this sorrow, this loneliness, I think it's revealing something deeply wrong with me. I think that if I was doing it right, or if that I was all right, then I wouldn't experience this grief. And yes, like you, I am not all that I am meant to be yet. I am becoming. But when I ache, if I believe the cause rests solely on my failures it's overwhelming. Then I have to run from it, hide it, manage it, sanctify it, ignore it, numb it, or better yet, kill it. Because when I am awake to it, it hurts. And I can feel bad for feeling bad. Sound familiar? Y'all, the undercurrent of sorrow that we feel is not all our fault. Maybe a part of it is. Maybe God is using it to expose a style of relating that he wants us to repent of. Maybe. But it's also possible that none of the sorrow we are feeling at a given moment is rooted in our failings. When we become aware of sadness or disappointment, we don't have to run. Sorrow is one of the realities of life. To be mature women, we have to be awake to the ache. Let it be a doorway for us to walk through, to find deeper intimacy with God. We ask God to meet us right in the ache. We also have moments when we doubt that we are worthy of love, when we don't feel like we have done something or are doing something worthy or amazing with our lives. Oh man, we get hit with diminishment so much. Friends, let me tell you the truth. The most amazing thing you can do with your life, love Jesus. Honestly, that is no small thing. To love Jesus in the middle of everything and anything that is going on around us or inside us, to believe that in the midst of it all, that Jesus loves you and has not abandoned you just as he promised he never would, that's our good fight of faith. To be in a place of sorrow, doubt, pain, anxiety, overwhelmed, and say, I love you, Jesus, right now and right here. That's amazing. To be in a place of victory and success and joy and celebration and say, I love you, Jesus, you. More even than all of this, it is the most important thing. It is the thing that will have the greatest effect on the world. And it is the beautiful thing, the most beautiful thing you can do. And the one thing that Jesus desires most. Friends, you do love God. You do. He knows it. And you're here because you're curious and you want more. So talk about amazing. In fact, when we love God, we partner with him in ministry, which means that we simply do what he asks us to do. That's what ministry is, doing what God tells you to do. Doesn't that take the pressure off? Ministry is listening to that still, small voice inside and then saying, okay, yes, I will. And that takes practice too a number of years ago, I was shopping at the local drugstore, Walgreens. And as I was checking out, the woman behind the counter had a terrible cold. And I commented on it. And she said, yeah, I feel really sick. And I said, I'm so sorry. Good thing you're at a place where there's things that can help you. And she said, yeah, if you could afford them. And I heard the Holy Spirit. I, you know, I felt the nudge. I had $20 in my purse. I had it, which I rarely do. And he said, give her the $20. And I went, "Eh. I don't want to give her the $20. That's that's weird. So I left and I didn't do it. And I'm driving home. I'm halfway home and I'm so convicted. I pull a U-turn. I drive back to Walgreens. I'm going to give her the $20. I walk in and she's gone home sick. Wasn't ever there again. And I said, I'm sorry, God, I missed it. And he said, that's okay. Practice. But next time, I want you to say yes to me. Whew. Ministry is saying yes. Sometimes it's simply saying you first to others, whether that's merging onto a line in traffic or having a turn to shine. It's choosing to love someone that is hard to love or to even like, and who is not reciprocating to you. Ministry is saying yes to God, and that's amazing. Wherever, whenever, however, small risks, big ones. And you know, God isn't interested in numbers or size. That's the world's way of measuring worthiness and success. God doesn't measure that way. God is interested in the heart. He is interested in yours. Fact, your heart is the prize of heaven. Okay, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but kind of excited. This is just good. So the first thing's first. The first thing, the best thing is loving Jesus with our whole heart. In order to do that well, we need to get our hearts more back, more healed more converted, more whole. We are on that road, and it is a worthy road to be on. It is the most important road to be on. To love God also means that we invite him into the full story of our lives. We walk with him into areas that he invites us to go. We practice redemptive remembering. Just briefly, today, that means we remember our past in light of the love of God. We remember our past, the arrows, the haunting, the wounds that we received, the hard things that happened to us, and they all happened to us. And we remember the longings that we felt, usually as a child, the things that wooed us, this this sense that there's a bigger world out there for us that's good. He woos us, Jesus, in the things we love. We remember the past in light of Jesus and all he has done and won to rescue us, to heal us, to bring us life. Redemptive remembering means remembering our future. We remember where we are headed. We remember the larger story that God is telling. We remember the true story of our lives, the source of the yearning in our hearts and the culmination of our journey. One of my favorite books is The Sacred Romance by Brent Curtis and my husband John. And I'm just going to read you two portions from it today because it's so good. The Sacred Romance calls to us every moment of our lives, whispers to us on the wind, invites us through the laughter of good friends, reaches out to us through the touch of someone we love. We've heard it in our favorite music, sensed it at the birth of our first child, been drawn to it while watching the shimmer of a sunset on the ocean. It is even present in times of great personal suffering, the illness of a child, the loss of a marriage, death of a friend. Something calls to us through experiences like these and rouses an inconsolable longing deep within our heart, wakening in us a yearning for intimacy, beauty, and adventure. This longing is the most powerful part of any human personality. It fuels our search for meaning, for wholeness, for a sense of being truly alive. However we may describe this deep desire— It is the most important thing about us, our heart of hearts, the passion of our life, and the voice that calls to us in this place is none other than the voice of God. Okay, isn't that good? All right, I want to read this one other place. The final burden of remembrance does not rest on us. If it did, we should all despair. Hebrews 12.2. Jesus is called the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who put the romance in our hearts and the one who first opened our eyes to see that our deepest desire is fulfilled in him. He started us on the journey, and he has bound himself to see us through. Even though we may, for long seasons, forget him, he does not forget us nor will he leave us without reminders along the way. The world is fairly studded and strewn, writes Annie Dillard, with unwrapped gifts and free surprises cast broadside from a generous hand. Our heart can be restored to life, and the smallest things become heavy with transcendence when we ask one simple question. What is this telling me about the sacred romance? This summer, I found it in the crickets. After tucking my boys in bed, with the requisite several glasses of water, trips to the potty and prayers, the house finally grew quiet. I stood at the upstairs window, looking out on our backyard, and in the darkness, with the warm breeze caressing my face, I listened. Perhaps it was the long winter then behind us. Perhaps it was the long winter of the soul that went along with it. There was, in the song of the crickets, something that released my heart. Memories of all the summer's past rose and mingled with the promise of the summer that would now come again. Beneath that, something deeper spoke, something at once young and yet very old. It whispered the promise of the summer that was soon coming, which would never pass into fall. Oh, I love that. Redemptive remembering means we actively and intentionally remember who Jesus is. The magnificent King, the majestic Savior, the Lion and the Lamb, the Word of God, the ageless Romancer. Jesus is pursuing you. He is pursuing me. And your heart is his most valuable treasure, and he cares for you and it deeply. His love doesn't wait for us to get our act together. Thank goodness. He loves us in the midst of the mess and the chaos and the beautiful ordinary of our lives. He comes to our ordinary, and he makes it extraordinary. For me, to answer the question, when or how did I fall in love with Jesus, is this. It happened in stages he rescued me when I was 21. And I mean, rescued me. That's a story for another time. But years later, like 15 years later, so about 25 years ago, I began to yearn to know him more deeply. I had such a longing for more. And I began to hear whiffs of women experiencing encounters with Jesus, seeing him in a time of worship or or receiving a personal prophetic word that was spot on for their lives from someone they didn't even know, or hearing the voice of God in their spirits. And I began burning inside to know him and experience him more deeply myself. So one night after a particularly bad day, um, and I do mean bad day, I was a mess that day. I was not being the mother that I wanted to be. I was just barely hanging on by the hair of my chinny, chin, chin. When John came home and I said, Tag, you're it. I am out of here. I need to get out of the house. And I went for a walk. It was a cold Colorado night. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, and the night sky was strewn with stars sparkling. And I just began to breathe in the fresh air and to let the day go. And I became so captured by the beauty that I stopped, just stared up at the sky, and began to compliment God on the great job he did. I said, wow, good job, you. This is really beautiful. Well done. And I heard in my spirit this still small voice that said, I'm glad you like it, my darling. (gasps) What? (laughs) Okay. I was standing still, but I would have been stopped in my tracks. I heard his voice and he called me my darling. This was so personal and I, I didn't even know if that was okay. Can the God of the universe call me that? I loved it, but I wasn't sure. So that night when I got back and it was time to go to bed, I reached for the Bible just to read something right before bed. And I opened it up and you know how this works. I opened it up and my eyes fell on Song of Songs, chapter one, verse 15. And it says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh my goodness. It just it just verified everything that Jesus had said to me, that, that it's real, that I, I am his darling. Say what? And Song of Songs, I know there's different opinions about it. Is it strictly a love poem between Solomon and the Shulamite who has captured his heart? Or is it a curtain being pulled back about the reality of how the King of Heaven relates to his bride? For example... There's an excellent book by Tremper Longman and Dan Allender called God Loves Sex, and it makes a compelling case that Song of Songs is a book celebrating the joys of marital intimacy, that it's about the delight a husband and a wife are meant to enjoy, and they unpack Song of Songs to that end with wisdom and skill. Others teach that the book is an allegory for the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the beautiful pursuit of our king, and the story of his beloved becoming ever more his. I think there's much to be gained in both interpretations, and I don't think we have to limit ourselves to one. But embracing the allegory of Christ and his bride brings immeasurable revelation of who we are to him, how he sees us, and how his love calls to us to follow him and then find our delight solely in response to his love. Friends, the unfolding story of the Bible is one of a sacred and holy pursuit of one who is deeply loved. It truly is a sacred romance. Jesus is the hero, and we are the ones he is wooing to his heart. He is captured by us. He wants us to be captured by Him. I'll go further. He is captivated. And the more we know Him, the more we have a personal and intimate relationship with Him, the more we see Him as He truly is, we become captivated by Him. It goes both ways. That is an astounding truth. And once we're hit by that revelation, we believe it, we receive it, we embrace it. It changes everything. I mean, why not try it on? Why not consider that it's true? Dive in, take a risk, even if it's just for today. Practice believing this truth and ask Jesus to make this real to you. So, in our times together on this podcast, I want to pull back the curtain on how marvelous Jesus is and how we can walk in the intimacy of mutual love with him, in the dailiness of our lives, in the ordinary ins and outs, in the transcendent and the boring, in our relationships when they are going well and when they are just really hard, in our struggles, in the mundane and the monumental, in our healing and our victories and our failures, in our desires and in our giving up in our pursuit of our own healing and in our discovery that who we are in Christ and to him affects our every breath our every breath it all matters and it all matters to him so that night he called me darling hasn't stopped not just when i'm feel worthy or deserving of him which is actually rare but every moment of my life and friends, he calls you that as well, every moment of yours. When did I fall head over heels in love with him? Well, right around then, when he called me darling, I felt personally seen. I felt loved and not rejected. I was not loving and living as I wanted to be. I was at my highest weight and telling myself that I look like Job of the Hutt. And God says, how beautiful you are, my darling? Beautiful? What? To have the revelation that his love for me is expansive and not dependent on my performance to earn or maintain, to come to know that the magnificent king of heaven's love for me is so deep that I could dive into it forever and never come to the end, that he sees me more clearly than I see myself, and he is head over heels in love with me? that he would spend it all, spend his life, suffer unimaginable pain and grief, run up mountains in pursuit so that we could be together forever, that I am immersed in love, cherished, pursued, and wanted, began a healing journey that hasn't stopped and has utterly changed my life. Friends, he doesn't just say it to me. He doesn't just pursue me. He is the great pursuer. He is the ancient romancer. He is pursuing you even now. He calls us loved. He calls us beautiful. I want to close with a poem by St. Catherine of Siena. She lived in the 1300s and, um, This is just about beauty, and we'll talk about that more on future podcasts because I know that that's a tricky, hard, and really vital topic for women. I know that I certainly have struggled here, and so has every woman that I know, but Jesus calls us beautiful. Listen to this poem. What is it you want to change? Your hair? Your face? Your body? Why? For God is in love with all those things, and he might weep when they are gone. Dear ones, the king is captivating, and because we bear his image, so are we. The king is captivated by your beauty. I just want to pray for us. Father, we need more of you. We invite you to come for us today, right now, and reveal to us again who you really are. Help us to see you. Help us to see ourselves as you do and to believe all the marvelous things about us that are true because you say they're true. The scriptures tell us that the king is, that you are, captivated by us and by our love for you, even when we're so very weak. Oh God. Help us to grasp that incredible truth more deeply. We want to become captivated by you. Capture our hearts, oh God. We want to fall ever more deeply in love with you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So thank you for joining me today. That's it for now. I loved being with you. I want to thank my producer, Stacey Burton. And I want to thank Alan for lending his expertise. I really look forward to being with you again. You can look at the show notes on the Wild at Heart webpage for books and scripture references, as well as for information about upcoming ministry events like Women at the Well, which is starting up again September 29th, or the live captivating retreat happening this October. You can find out more about those things at wildatheart.org. Our next podcast, we'll be having a special guest talking about intimacy with Jesus. Have a wonderful couple of weeks. You are loved.